Good day, Earthlings. You're listening to Trinity Radio, a music commentary podcast for dark music lovers. Welcome to episode seven, the seven seas. We're taking an international voyage across the world of electronic music, crossing all the oceans and corners of the globe. We have music by Kraftwerk of Germany, Bjork of Iceland, Dr. Body of Chile, and much more. Grab your peanuts. We are taking off. You're listening to Trinity Radio. Welcome aboard Trinity Airlines. This is your captain, DJ Cheshireen speaking, and I have some information about our flight today. Today, we are taking a trip across the seven seas, exploring the world of international electronic music. We will cross the major oceans, the Indian, Arctic, Antarctic, Atlantic, and Pacific, with layovers at eight destinations. Our flight time today will be approximately one hour and 10 minutes. The weather conditions include fog, strobe-like lightning, and a 100% chance of thundering beats. To begin our trip, we're crossing the Atlantic to a town called Dusseldorf, Germany. Dusseldorf is the leading telecom hub in Germany. It is home to Germany's mobile phone market, two airlines, 18 internet service providers, and several foreign infotech companies. Given that Düsseldorf is an epicenter for tech, it's no surprise that this city is home to a massive electronic music export. Kraftwerk is a German electronic band formed by Florian Schneider and Ralph Hutter. Widely considered the innovators of electronic music, Kraftwerk were among the first successful acts to popularize the electronic music genre, fully embracing electronic instrumentation like synthesizers, vocoders, and drum machines. In the early days of Kraftwerk, the lineups fluctuated. By 1975, the group formed into a quartet. So after 1975, most of Crawford's sleeve designs are a portrait of the quartet. The artists are usually rendered in Bauhaus or a minimal aesthetic drawing, including on this 2003 record, on which four men appear as road cyclists in a pace line. And in the background, they're superimposed across this angled representation of the French national flag. This first song is called Tour de France. As many electronic songs tend to be, Tour de France has many different edits and versions, so there isn't one definitive or official version of Tour de France. What's more interesting is that this song was recorded in both German and French language versions, but outside of Germany, the versions issued were only sung in French, so the French version is the more popularized version. But we're in Dusseldorf, aren't we? So we must hear the German version, aka the version sung in Deutsch. Here it is, the rare version of Crawford's Tour de France, sung in Deutsch on Trinity Radio.
Hölle das Haus ist von Ruben, Tour de France, Tour de France. Die Côte d'Azur und Saint-Tropez, Tour de France, Tour de France. Die Alpen und die Pyrenäen, Tour de France, Tour de France. Ich hab ein Ziel, Champs-Élysées, Tour de France, Tour de France. Just heard Kraftwerk's song Tour de France, sung in German. Did you know that the word Kraftwerk is the German word for power station, or another way to say it is a generator plant? It's kind of fitting. Tour de France was inspired by the annual Grand Tour bicycle race called the Tour de France. It still goes on today. This song was a reflection of the band's newfound obsession for cycling, and the album was described as a minimalistic melding of man with machine. Tour de France is notable for the use of sampled vocals and mechanical sounds associated with cycling. You can hear bike chains, the soft friction of brake pads, and heavy breathing. Kind of feels like you're doing cardio, but sexier. <laughs> Speaking of sexy, Dusseldorf isn't exactly a glamorous travel destination by any stretch of the imagination. The town is mainly an economic hub for telecom, media, and innovation. This could explain why, around the same era of Kraftwerk, three other notable music groups formed in Dusseldorf. The bands are DAF, Decrups, and Warlock. Each of these groups had a tremendous impact on their respective genres. EBM, Industrial, and Metal. It's just a guess, but it could be that Dusseldorf's focus on tech production inspired these musicians' electronic and industrial-themed music. As the Depeche Mode composer Martin Gore said, for anyone of our generation involved in electronic music, Kraftwerk were the godfathers. Over time, they started adding live visuals to their performances, including back-projected slides, synchronized films, and 3D imaging technology to supplement these performances. By bringing music together with visuals, robots, and this overall digital performance, 
Crawford had become a total multimedia work of art. In May 2021, Crawford were announced as an official inductee of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. With a unique vision of a completely electronic style of music, the German synth Mavericks changed the face of pop and electronic music forever. Trinity Radio. Step aboard again and travel with me northwest. We're heading toward the Arctic Ocean to the island of Iceland. It's about a three and a half hour flight from Dusseldorf. The capital city of Iceland is Reykjavik. Reykjavik is the northernmost capital city in the world, and it's home to 60% of Iceland's population. Currently, in August, the average temperature of Iceland is 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Here are four facts about Iceland. First, the only native land mammal when humans arrived was the Arctic fox. Supposedly, the Arctic fox made its way to the island by walking over the frozen sea during the Ice Age. On rare occasions, bats have been carried to the islands with winds, but they haven't been able to breed there. Fact 2. Many Icelanders believe in elves and trolls. So here's one myth. In Iceland, there's a landmark or tourism site called the Reynistakr Sea Stacks. These are bizarre pillars that rise out of the ocean. According to mythology, these pillars are petrified trolls who turned to stone when they were exposed to the sunrise, and now they're frozen forever in time. Fact number three, the Icelandic language has over 100 words for wind. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> and finally, fact number four, Iceland doesn't have a celebrity culture, and famous people are not regarded with superiority or admiration like we see in most other countries. Instead, celebrities from Iceland navigate their lives similar to common citizens, so they're not really going around with security or getting asked for autographs or being flocked by paparazzi. The same is true for this musical crown jewel. Björk is an Icelandic singer, musician, and producer. She was born in Reykjavik in 1965. Best known for her peculiar vocals and creative compositions, Björk's music career began while studying piano and flute in grade school. She was really passionate and an absolute prodigy. Björk released her first music album when she was just 11 years old, and when she was 13, she started an all-girls punk band for which she played the drums. She continued playing punk until her late teens, and at 20 years old, Björk became a vocalist for the Icelandic alternative rock band called The Sugar Cubes. In her late 20s, Björk moved to London to pursue a solo career under her own name as Björk. She began working with the electronic pop and trip-hop producer Nellie Hooper, so this was kind of around the mid-90s. You hear Björk departing from her artsy, guitar, rock, and punk styles into more like electronic pop, experimental, IDM jazz, and trip-hop. Here's material from her early days, from Bjork's 1995 album, Post. This is Army of Me on Trinity Radio.
That was Bjork, Army of Me. Army of Me was her first single to enter the top 10 of the UK singles chart, so she saw success very early on. So because of this, I wanted to revisit the topic of fame and fandom in Iceland. Regarding Iceland's attitude about celebrities, Bjork stated, quote, We don't have much of a hierarchy, and here no one is more important than the next one. Autographs and paparazzi aren't really a thing, end quote. So Bjork's incredible success has done nothing to diminish her down-to-earth appreciation of her origins or even the integrity of the work itself. Bjork was raised in Iceland by her mother, Hildur, who was an environmental activist. From a young age, Bjork's process began with immersing herself in nature. In this interview with Polar Music Prize, Bjork explains the source of her creativity. I used to walk to school, which was about half an hour walk, and I would sing. I had no idea that anybody would ever hear it. It was more just my method of interacting with the environment, especially spatially. You know, you'd walk down a hill and you sing the verse, and then on the top of a hill was the chorus, you know. And Iceland is amazing for for spatialness, if there is such a word, because it's so stark. There's very few people there and very few plants and very few animals. <laughs> There's a lot of room for you. I totally uh, know about this this view that, that computer music has no soul, you know. But I've always felt that if you put if you put soul into your music, there's soul in your music. If you don't put soul in your music, there's not soul in your music, you know. You cannot rely on a computer or a violin or a guitar to do it for you. It, it won't. You have to do it. Another cool fact. When Björk was 13, she spent her first bundle of savings on a tent. And as a teen, she would hitchhike in camp and just spend a few days on her own to explore her freedom and experience the sacredness of the Reykjavik and Icelandic landscape. Björk is deeply committed to the idea of listening to the natural world around her and interpreting what she hears into art. In a way, it seems like Björk's kind of detached from this superficial side of fame. Nevertheless, Björk has grown to become one of the most famous Icelandic artists of all time. In 2015, she was mentioned as Time's top 100 most influential people in the world. And the siren has received notable praise for her peculiar voice technique. In fact, National Public Radio, or NPR, counted Björk among its list of 50 greatest voices. And the Rolling Stone has ranked her as one of the greatest singers to ever live. Keeping it cool, we travel towards the Antarctic Ocean. Antarctica is the southernmost continent of the South Pole. It's virtually uninhabited by anything other than penguins and some sea animals. For travel, there's no infrastructure. There's no landing strips, no refueling stations for planes. So we're just going to have to like magic school bus our way over to Antarctica. So another fun fact. Did you know that Antarctica is a desert? And when most of us think of deserts, at least when I think of a desert, we think of sand dunes and sizzling temperatures. But technically, a desert doesn't have to be hot or sandy. Regardless of the temperature, desert is really just a region that receives very little annual precipitation like rain, snow, mist, or fog. So while Antarctica is covered in ice, it has taken an incredible 45 million years to grow to its current thickness because so little rain falls there. As one of the driest continents on Earth, Antarctica is the coldest and windiest. I just imagined this like bitter howling wind and frost 
spitting face, no thank you. <laughs> so if there's nothing in Antarctica, why are we going there? Antarctica's landmass has been divided among several countries. By the 1900s, there were several territorial claims. On one side of Antarctica, there's Australia and New Zealand making their claim. On the other side of Antarctica, you had Europeans, Britain, France, Germany, and Norway all fighting. And then you had South Americans, Argentina, and Chile trying to combat for making these territorial claims. By 1939, World War II had started, and the European countries there were more interested in just, like, not dying. <laughs> so that left Argentina and Chile fighting over one portion while the Europeans were kind of checked out. But no one lives in Antarctica, right? So, like, who cares? Well, at the time of this dispute, Chile and Argentina were both dictatorships with a lot of national pride. And what started as a game of finders keepers escalated to a man on the moon situation. Argentina was so serious about claiming its national territory over Antarctica that in 1977, the Argentinian government set up a base and dispatched a military captain and crew to occupy Antarctica. They also airlifted Sylvia, who was the captain's pregnant wife. So the government did all this so that Sylvia could just carry out her pregnancy in Antarctica. And on January 7th, 1978, Emilio Palma became the first documented person to be born on the continent of Antarctica. By having an Argentinian citizen born on the land, the government felt that they established dominance over Chile and that Antarctica was theirs. But it didn't stop there. After Palma was born, Chile set up a base in Antarctica. Then they sent one of their citizens to give birth on the territory. And then Argentina sent another pregnant woman to have a baby. And the ensuing joke apparently was that Chileans were sending newlyweds to their Antarctic base and have the first baby both conceived and born in the territory. In this time, 11 Chilean and Argentinian babies were born in Antarctica. This duel has just a lot to do with national pride. At this point, for Chile or Argentina to give up Antarctic territory would just be like giving up national land. But yeah, I mean, aside from research bases, even today, no one lives in Antarctica. So instead, I thought it'd be cool to feature artists from both Argentina and Chile, starting with Argentina. Malvaneda is a cold wave and EBM project of Lucas and Agustina of Buenos Aires, Argentina. Their music takes influence from dark wave, cold wave, and synth music, but it's specifically charged up for the dance floor. Balvaneta's first album is called Courses of Action. Courses of Action is a political reference. It's a phrase that they would hear politicians, CEOs, and the upper echelon of the nation state in order to give the illusion to the people that they were working toward positive change, but in actuality, no action would be taken. So in this political context, the phrase course of action is really just an empty promise. Balvanera reappropriated this phase to think of their own actions and feeling of control in a chaotic climate. This next song speaks to political avoidance and inaction. From the album Courses of Action, this is Balvanera's New Ways on Trinity Radio.
That was New Ways by Balvaneda. In an interview with postpunk.com, Balvaneda discusses the challenges of making music in Argentina. They say it's financially almost impossible to buy gear. They pay 60% more in taxes, which means a synth that would cost $300 USD would cost more like the equivalent of $600. And they just make $350 to $500 a month for their full-time professional job, so it's really impractical for them to buy gear. Instead, the band relies on software programs to develop their music, and they just use their own vision um, regardless of the tools. So despite the difficulty of purchasing gear, the band manages to create a powerful form of full-on body music, and they can still perform at underground parties. Because according to the band, they don't really have these like massive established clubs. They're kind of nomads. So the less gear, the better, actually. And a lot of these parties are actually small and illegal, so the glitz doesn't actually matter. Everything is quite ephemeral. They might play somewhere one day and then never play there again. Um, but they do have a loyal following, mostly made up of a queer audience with taste for new beat, EBM, and all sorts of techno and acid. To learn more about Balvanera, go to their website, balvaneramusic.com. That's B-A-L-V-A-N-E-R-A music.com. That website houses all of their contact info, socials, music for purchase, and press information. You're listening to Trinity Radio. For our second Antarctic Ocean rep, we have the Chilean EBM and electropunk duo Dr. Body. Dr. Body is a project of vocalist Jesus Pinto and programmer Felipe Ortiz. So Chile is just the western next-door neighbor of Argentina. Information about Dr. Body was pretty hard to find. Uh, they have a Facebook and Instagram page, but the last posts were from 2002. And posts are mainly announcements and videos of them performing. I was able to find a little history from this 2012 interview they did with blogger Radio EBM, Unidos y Fuertes, which is EBM United and Strong. The duo is humble. In the interview, they said that their best times are just kicking back with a cold beer and enjoying music by their influences. DAF, ADAC 8286, Sturm Cafe, Gorilla, Nightsareb, etc. And Dr. Body booms with these really hard, hard rhythms, these stompy bass lines and aggressive lyrics, which in their words are best enjoyed with a cold beer. So are you ready to get charged up? Because the song is going to do it for you. This is Dr. Body's La Esencia de Dolor on Trinity Radio.
What a banger. How do you sit still to that? I can't. Anyway, much like Babaneta described in Argentina, Chile doesn't really have a strong EBM scene. When they did the interview in 2012, they said rave culture was in fashion in Chile. And based on my current research, this still seems to be the case. Other popular music is rock and roll, hip-hop, and Chilean cumbia, which has its origins from the Caribbean. Electronic music scene is what has given Chile the most international success. In these cases, some of these electronic producers were just children of political exiles, while others were people who decided to leave the country. Uh, most of all of these people are just expats, though. According to Dr. Body, rave has always been in fashion, and in my opinion, EBM is really just only a few steps from rave. Still, Dr. Body's rather obscure in the United States. So this is how I heard of Dr. Body. One of my buddies, Israel, aka DJ Israel from San Diego, played Dr. Body at this old, awesome dark wave event that was called Rituals. They did like dark wave, cold wave, EBM, industrial. You know, these are like kind of the genres that are central to most goth clubs, but they really had a cool focus on international artists. And even though Rituals isn't running anymore, Israel still DJs really regularly to keep up with shows and concerts around dark wave, EBM, and cold wave, follow his Instagram. That is I-S-R-A-E-L underscore L-I-I-T-E. And you should also follow my pal Jose, aka DJ Function One on Instagram. That is at DJ F-N-1. From there, you'll see the plethora of these post-punk, cold wave, dark wave events from concerts to dance parties that they do all around Southern California. And for more on Dr. Body, you can follow them on Facebook at D-R-B-O-D-Y-E-B-M, Dr. Body, and Instagram at Dr. Body Music. It's D-R Body Music. Trinity Radio. Keeping it down low, we travel to the land down under, Australia. This is a 17-hour flight, almost straight shot west to the southernmost point called Melbourne. It's the hometown of our next featured artist. Night Flight is the solo electro and acid project of Australian-born Alicia Flighter. Alicia Flighter cites a kaleidoscope of influences. Marie Davidson, Kelly Lee Owens, Kitten, Exaltics, Louisa, and Malmstrom. Her latest album, Day Flight and Night Flight, divides her music into two distinct halves. On one side of the album, there's this like knocking, chaotic peak time electro. And the other side of it has really dreamy melodies. It's more lethargic and like this dazed, hypnotic kind of atmosphere. So our next song is one of the latter, more chill songs. Here is Night Flight, Desensitization on Trinity Radio.
You just heard Desensitization by Night Flight. That's off her most recent album, Day Flight slash Night Flight. The album cover has a picture of a gremlin-like figure on it from the movie Gremlins. If you haven't seen the movie Gremlins, it's a 1984 comedy horror. The movie Gremlins is about these really cute, small furry creatures called mogwais. A young boy buys a mogwai as a pet, but they're not really supposed to be pets. Mogwai is actually the Cantonese word for monster or devil. And so when he buys this mogwai, it's actually really hard to take care of because there are three super important rules with mogwai. One, they can't be exposed to light, especially sunlight, because they'll die. Two, they can't come in contact with water or else they'll multiply. And finally, don't feed them after midnight because then they transform into these like really mischievous dark green reptilian monsters called gremlins. And that is what the cover of day flight and night flight is. Gremlin could be interpreted as a symbol of agility between extremes because remember this album has really chaotic songs on one end and more like dreamy songs on the other. Alicia got her started with DJing and exploring the music scene in her late teens. At the time in Australia, Electroclash was in its heyday. This was like early, mid-2000s, going into 2010s. She had a fake ID, and that's how she would get into suburban nightclubs to listen to electronic music. She could also go online and participate in forums, or she could chit-chat with other like-minded people. Because the scene in Australia was super limited. So in regards to change and transformation of gremlins... There's an interview Alicia did with We Are Europe, and in this she talks about what it was like DJing in Australia as she grew up and why she decided to relocate to Europe in order to grow her music career. I came over in July 2018 to London to tour the first EP I did. I wasn't planning on moving over, but then I was... I think I played like two shows and I was like, well, I'm not going back to Australia. <laughs> um, because you, in Australia, it's like playing in Sydney f- and you can play a show and then, or maybe two. Or you go, you're in Melbourne and you can play a show. Or I got in trouble last time when I was playing in a, on a rave after one of the shows. But yeah, here I was like, I can play in three different countries and be home on Sunday. That's yeah. amazing. And they're all way better than, not way, you know, more people. Yeah. After a while, you're like, I'm always playing the same venues. There's a ceiling at some point that you kind of have to move from uh, Australia if you want to go further, in a sense, no? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is fun. It is, there are good, really good parties in Sydney and Melbourne. And, yeah, yeah, yeah bush, bush doofs sometimes. Also. Bush doofs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the bush doofs are fun, but also you, you're so dirty. That yeah. Like, by the end, if you stay for the yeah. whole time and you have to have, like, four yeah. showers to get, <laughs> to get that dirt out. <laughs> but oh, yeah. it's fun, it's fun. A bush doof, it's a no, party it's that is in the bush, so the bush is kind of, like, forest area but or forest is making it sound fancy <laughs> <laughs> too much of a word yeah, it's too much of a word it's kind of like the bush is like 
dust. A lot of dust. And, uh, not the desert, though. Yeah, not <laughs> the there desert. are mountains. Yeah. So it's like where you go camping. <laughs> You're lucky if you can find some yeah. grass in a doof. Yeah. If you are in town and you see someone coming back from a bush party, you're going to know. Oh, yeah. If they're real true <laughs> bush doofer, they'll be barefooted people like gremlins. If you're wondering about the spelling of a bush doof, it's B-U-S-H space D-O-O-F. So in Australia, a bush doof is a transformational hippie spiritual party or festival. I think of it kind of like Burning Man. They have art, they have yoga, workshops, psychedelic art forms, small music shows, and more. If you're into music that really carries you through a whole spectrum of moods, that womp womp electro sound and some chill electronic instrumentals, check out Dayflight Nightflight. You can also learn more about Nightflight on the website at N-I-T-E-F-L-E-I-T dot com. There you'll see the YouTube, SoundCloud, streaming services, socials, and all that stuff. You can also check out Alicia's label, Atomic Alert, on Bandcamp. Keeping in here in the Pacific Ocean, we're traveling to the Northern Hemisphere now. Welcome to Tokyo, Japan, a wonderful city which mixes the ultra-modern and the traditional together, from neon-lit skyscrapers to these historic temples. As the largest population center in Japan, Tokyo is the site of the country's largest broadcasters and studios for TV, video games, manga, anime, and fashion. Music is also among the country's cultural exports. One of my first experiences with Asian industrial music was as a teen through the MySpace era. I came across this duo called Oral Vampire. This was like 2004 or something. Oral Vampire is a Japanese band led by Exotica, which is Exotica, and Raveman from Tokyo, Japan. Their music has been described as electro-gothic pop and combines influences from electronica, new wave, and industrial. Exotica and Raveman met in high school where they were classmates, and they shared interests in Western horror movies, digital hardcore music, and peculiar art. After high school, they started writing songs together. They recorded tapes and performed live shows under the name Oral Vampire. To match the vibe, Exotica plays the role of a vampire, usually dressed in a gothic Lolita fashion and has fangs. Raveman is never seen without a mask. As part of the underground dance scene, Oral Vampire makes up for their lack of chart success with their flamboyant stage presence. Uh, their costume puts even the most image-obsessed J-pop contemporaries to shame. Here is one of the earliest songs. This is Oral Vampire, Dark Wave Surfer on Trinity Radio.
was Oral Vampire, Dark Wave Surfer. Oral Vampire was most active in the mid-2000s. In 2004, they independently released their debut album, Vampire Fantasy, which sold around 2,000 copies. In 2007, Oral Vampire toured overseas for the first time, playing dates in Germany, Netherlands, and Finland. Despite the obvious language barrier, Oral Vampire's exotic twist on the gothic chic struck a chord overseas, helping them gain almost 50,000 friends on MySpace, where they also ranked for a period as the most popular Japanese indie artist. Their fashion sensibilities takes inspiration from something called Visual K, or VK for short. VK is primarily a music-based subculture inspired by 80s glam rock, punk, and rock. The aesthetic is also a defining characteristic, so it's based around music, but it incorporates varying levels of makeup, elaborate hairstyles, and costumes, often coupled with an androgynous aesthetic. The fashion sensibilities are similar to scene, goth, and emo in the U.S. Raveman's clothes are kind of VK, but he's a little more extreme because he always wears a mask. You can't ever see his hair, the shape of his face, nose, or mouth, or eyes whatsoever. I'll show you guys a pic on my Instagram. And Exotica represents as a Lolita vampire, which is kind of an offshoot of VK style. So while music is central to the VK aesthetic, just the aesthetic alone without the music attached to it is certainly an international export. If you're listening to this podcast, you've likely run into the VK or Gothic Lolita sort of garb. Lolita fashion is a subculture from Japan that is highly influenced by Victorian clothing and styles of the Rococo period. And this fashion sense presentation really adds to the performance value of Oral Vampire. Here's a more detailed description on Gothic Lolita and J fashion by YouTuber Dodo the Extinct. Lolita fashion originated around the 1980s in the Harajuku neighborhood of Tokyo, Japan. The Lolita look typically includes a cute dress or skirt with a blouse with a high collar and accessories featuring frills, lace, and bows. Lolita fashion embraces femininity or kawaii culture or cute culture in Japan, basically anything that makes you look like a princess. The Gothic Lolita's color tone and elements are much darker than Sweet Lolita. The accessories usually include dark themes like bats, coffins, or skulls. The VK and Gothic Lolita styles are usually taken on by youth. It can be their way of exhibiting nonconformity with means of self-expression. By expressing themselves with a more dramatic look, they attempt to forge individual paths by showing that they're rejecting society's norms or the mundane aspects of regular full-time work and business attire that is so commonly seen in Japan. Oral Vampire isn't as active as they were in their heyday, but they're still putting stuff out there. As of May 2023, Oral Vampire released a new EP called Wani, which has a mix of Japanese darkwave, EBM, noise, and metal. You can stream the new EP on services like Spotify and then some. It's spelled W-A-N-I. And if you wanted to purchase their music, well, in my experience, that's a little difficult, but I've had some luck on eBay, Discogs um, for CDs, and a limited selection of digital files can be found on some mainstream sites like Amazon Music, Apple Music, and those types of places. Trinity Radio. So far, we've crossed lots of oceans. We've gone over the North Atlantic, Arctic, Antarctic, Pacific Oceans. Next up, we make our way to India. Flight time approximately 10 hours southwest of here, crossing over Southern Asia, and across the Indian Ocean. Some facts about India. 
India is the second most populous country in the world with over 1.4 billion people. India has 22 recognized languages and around 70% of the world's spices come from India. These are flavors like turmeric, cumin, saffron, and chili powders. Hailing from the rich city of Mumbai, India, Aqua Dominatrix is a solo synth-driven project of Akshay Rajpurohit. His tracks are easy to get lost into with these catchy disco-infused beats. Akshay cites cinematic influences like Miami Vice, Blade Runner, and Beverly Hills Cop. Music influences are Brian Eno, Klaus Schultz, Chromio, and Depeche Mode. Not only did they inspire his sound, but these electronic musicians inspired him to perform live, not just with computers. So from Mumbai, India, this is Aqua Dominatrix, Danza Massacro on Trinity Radio.
That was Aqua Dominatrix Danza Massacro. I enjoyed that song because it has a blended atmosphere of multiple vibes. The nature of Synthwave has this feel of driving through like neon grid lines. And then the final third has like a guitar plucking of a sitar, which is a stringed instrument from medieval India. The modern union of Western electronic music and Indian music started in the 70s when Mumbai, or formerly Bombay, got its first taste of disco. Prior to this point, music was just enjoyed with live bands. Between the 1930s and the 1950s, jazz and groove were chief, and this had to do with the British Raj, or the rule of the British crown over the India subcontinent. And the city of Mumbai, formerly called Bombay, is a far east Indian port. Essentially, it was a trading and tourism hub for Westerners. Under the control and influence of the British Raj, there were certain art forms that could not be played freely in India. Things like scripts or music needed approval, and performers often had the police watching. But in 1957, India had become an independent nation, and that independence ushered into the music. After the independence, there was an emergence of Indian-owned clubs, starting with India's first disco club called Studio 29. Studio 29 was founded by Sabira Merchant. Uh, and it was at the heart of the iconic Bombay International Hotel. Studio 29 was the city's most glitziest party joint, complete with turntables, sound systems, shimmery curtains, and an imported disco ball. In this interview with Brut Music, Sabira describes the early days of changing Bombay's club scene. That time there was this um, beautiful cover that came out on Life magazine which said disco takes over. I read that article and I showed it to my partners and I said, this is what's the next thing that's going to happen. But they said, how can we have a, a, a record and people dancing? People dance to bands. We had a wonderful floor with everything on it. We had the floor lights, the Tivoli lights. We had a bubble machine that would throw bubbles at you from the ceiling. I remember once uh, our Raj Kapoor, famous actor he came over and he said i would like to see what this fantastic discotheque is like and he sat on the floor uh with me and i put on the light and sound show and he witnessed it and he said it was like i remember his words it was like being in heaven he said studio 29 became the most iconic club of the 1980s in bombay at the height of their popularity they had around 700 paid members and the daily guest list read like a who's who of Bollywood royalty. It was essentially India's first modern nightclub. But due to labor disputes, the club closed down in 1985. Still, nearly 40 years later, Studio 29 is remembered as the great-grandparent of Mumbai nightlife. Nowadays, India has a rich and diverse music and party scene. Today's hallmarks of Indian music are Bhangra, which is a blend of Western hip-hop, rap, and traditional folk. There's modern Bollywood music, Punjabi, pop. Goa trance, aka Psy trance, and there's an emerging techno scene. So, among that list, Aqua Dominatrix is pretty obscure. His music is still worthwhile for lovers of synthwave and techno. And if you enjoy an intricate setup, I totally suggest looking Aqua Dominatrix up on YouTube. That's spelled Dominatrix with an X at the end. You can also follow him on Instagram at Aqua Dominatrix. Trinity Radio. For our final stop today, we're traveling to Johannesburg, South Africa, or Joburg for short. As the name implies, South Africa is Africa's southernmost country, approximately a 12-hour flight from Mumbai. South Africa is so biodiverse in nature. 
The country is surrounded by the Atlantic and Indian Oceans, but there's also desert, savanna, forests, mountains, and so much native wildlife. Here are more interesting facts. First fact, South Africa has three capitals, Pretoria, Cape Town, and Bloemfontein, but the largest city is Joburg. Fact two, South Africa is the world's largest producer of chrome, manganese, platinum, vanadium, and vermiculite, and it was once the world's leading producer of gold. In fact three, South Africa is full of record-breaking animals, so it's where you'll find the largest land mammal, the elephant, the largest bird, the ostrich, the tallest animal, the giraffe, the largest fish, the whale shark, the largest reptile, the leatherback turtle, and the fastest land mammal, the cheetah. Given its abundance of natural resources, South Africa has a diverse set of chief exports. Metals, minerals, fruit, sugar, and wool. These are tangible goods mostly. But pop culture, not so much, because South Africa is really remote. And because it's so far from other major travel destinations, it's financially and logistically really impractical for South African musicians to tour abroad. So that's why we're here today. Meet Battery 9. Battery 9 is the industrial music project and brainchild of Paul Ricard. Ricard started recording under the name Battery 9 in 1994. Bored with the creative constraints of standard guitar rock, he tinkered with the more industrial outfit, finding beats with machine sounds and playing percussion with big metal objects. This is Battery 9, Fatsuya Bosva, on Trinity Radio.
You just heard Battery 9, Fatsuya Bosva, from the 1995 album Strop. The language spoken there was Afrikaans. So another fact about South Africa is that there's like 11 or 12 spoken languages, actually probably a lot more, but I think those are the core ones. The most commonly spoken languages are Zulu, Rosa, which is spelled X-H-O-S-A, and Afrikaans. So Afrikaans is a West Germanic language of Dutch origin. It was used by European settlers who colonized and enslaved South Africans. In Black communities and more progressive enlightened communities, there has been opposition to speaking Afrikaans as it's thought to be the language of the oppressor. Because 80% of South Africa is made up of Black Africans. About 11% is made of mixed race or colored. So these might be Indian people or mixed race with black and something else. And then there are whites who are minority, making up just 9% of the population. Another important mention is that until 1994, which is basically Battery 9 starting days, there was still institutionalized racial segregation in South Africa. This was called apartheid. Apartheid was characterized by an authoritarian political culture which ensured that South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically through minoritarianism, which is basically saying that the minority population, the white population, would dominate the nation. According to this system, white citizens had the highest status, followed by Indians, the coloreds, and then at the bottom, the black Africans. Through its history, anti-apartheid music within South Africa faced significant censorship from the government. This censorship occurred both directly from the creators and via the South African Broadcasting Corporation. Additionally, musicians opposing the government and status quo faced threats, harassments, and arrests. Subsequently, after integration, Ricard founded 1F Music, an independent record label and small home studio where he could make music freely. The bigger alternative music industry started to take notice of Battery 9, which afforded Ricard opportunities to play live acts for bigger and bigger audiences. After a few major live performances, Battery 9 became a supporting act for big beat bands like The Prodigy and Faithless on their South African tours. 
But unfortunately, music coming from within South Africa didn't really see the same reach. Again, because of the distance from other musical hotspots, it's just too expensive and impractical for some South African artists to tour internationally. But nowadays, thanks to the internet, music is more and more accessible. Learn more about Battery 9 from their website, Battery9, that's B-A-T-T-E-R-Y 9.co.za, Z as in zebra or zebra, as they call it in South Africa. You can also purchase music from the 1F Music Labels Bandcamp. That's spelled O-N-E-F music, or you can listen to their music on various streaming services. My lovely passengers, this concludes our tour across the seven seas. On behalf of all of our musicians, thank you for putting up with our turbulence. If you enjoyed today's flight, please give me a positive rating to help us get visibility to other dark music fans. Also, please connect with me on Instagram at trinity.xm for details about our next monthly podcast. Thank you for flying Trinity Air. Hope to see you again soon. Ciao.